Welcome to Insights at the Edge, produced by Sounds True. My name's Tammy Simon. I'm the founder of Sounds True. And I'd love to take a moment to introduce you to the new Sounds True Foundation. The Sounds True Foundation is dedicated to creating a wiser and kinder world by making transformational education widely available. We want everyone to have access to transformational tools such as mindfulness, emotional awareness, and self-compassion, regardless of financial, social, or physical challenges. The Sounds True Foundation is a nonprofit dedicated to providing these transformational tools to communities in need, including at-risk youth, prisoners, veterans, and those in developing countries. If you'd like to learn more or feel inspired to become a supporter, please visit soundstruefoundation.org. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today, my guest is Locke Kelly. Locke Kelly is an author, a meditation teacher, and a psychotherapist, founder of the Open Hearted Awareness Institute. He's collaborated with neuroscientists at Yale, the University of Pennsylvania, and NYU in the study of how awareness training can enhance compassion and well-being. With Sounds True, Locke Kelly published a previous book called Shift into Freedom and a new book called The Way of Effortless Mindfulness, a revolutionary guide for living an awakened life. Get ready for this special Insights at the Edge. Locke Kelly guides us in unhooking from our thinking mind and discovering for ourselves awake awareness. Come along with me. Here's my conversation with Locke Kelly about his new book, The Way of Effortless Mindfulness. Locke, I wanted to start with something that I've heard you say a couple of different times. And quite honestly, I don't hear very many people saying this, and I think it's such an important idea. And that is, here you go, it's a quote from your new book, The Way of Effortless Mindfulness. Awakening, spiritual awakening, is the next natural stage of human development. And I wanted to start our conversation really having you unpack that idea for our listeners, that awakening is the next natural stage of human development. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you so much, Tammy. So great to be here with you. And uh, this is the feeling um, that I have and what I've spent time looking at in both a way of practice, but also as a good objective, contemporary, scientifically minded person to see what's true and what's possible and what's real. Um, I think having uh, my experience of deliberate mindfulness uh, by going to Sri Lanka and doing meditation retreats of 10 days and 21 days and five-day retreats, and then going up to uh, Nepal and meeting Toko Ergen Rinpoche and having 
this premise that the awakeness that we're seeking is already here within us and as who we already are. And then within a few minutes of him giving me this kind of glimpse practice or pointing, I felt the same way as I did at the end of a long deliberate mindfulness sitting retreat. And my eyes were open and my heart was open. And I realized, oh my God, I don't have to develop this. There's something already here within me that is naturally compassionate and clear. There's another kind of awareness that I've just shifted into that's been hidden behind my chattering mind. And I know this from other times in my life. And I can now talk from here and walk from here. And eventually it faded. Uh, but that gave me my first sense. Uh, wow, this is not something for the elite meditators or the Olympic athletes of uh, monasteries. Uh, but I, I got an immediate feeling that this was a capacity within me. And then I saw, you know, not only myself, but others uh, who were there, some got this same sense. And then over the years, uh, my whole interest uh, has been to develop ways to point to this within others and help people realize that Losing it is not unusual, and how to return, and then how to integrate it into um, psychological life, emotional life, physical life, and uh, integrate the two. Now, there's a lot in what you've just said, Locke. So, yeah. with this statement, awakening, the next natural stage of human development, do you have this yeah. view that? hundreds of years from now, we're not going to be having these kinds of conversations where pointing out that awakeness is already here. It's going to be like, duh, we all get this, just the way we've, yeah. now that we've extended the human lifespan by 10 years, 20 years. So, do you think it's going to be the same thing with recognizing awakeness is already here? Yes, I absolutely do. That's that's well said. It, you know, and I look at, uh, you know, how much has been developed uh, in so many fields of human consciousness, human education, uh, in the last few hundred years, and we know so much about uh, different dimensions of ourselves and our capacities. And this one, I think, has been um, rarefied and a little bit hidden, and maybe we've been external, so we've developed uh, ways of, you know, uh, creating assembly lines and microchips. And if I feel like since this natural capacity is here, once kind of we begin to open the door and learn simpler, more direct, more elegant ways to access 
and stabilize this awakening potential and capacity that it will become teachable and learnable in a more uh, simple and normal, be the new normal. Exciting. Okay. Now for our listener who says, I want to make sure I'm tracking with you, but I've heard so many different people talk about awakening. And, you know, it's a little vague. It's a little mushy. (laughs) Even when Locke says awakeness is already here, are we talking about the same thing? The awakeness that I think he's talking about and what he's actually talking about? How do you define awakening? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I go into it in different... uh, ways from different um, perspectives and uh, emphasizing, noticing how different cultures and traditions have emphasized different things. But in terms of kind of using consciousness language, uh, it's simply a shift from our small sense of self to a more open, uh, vast, interconnected, loving sense of true nature and a shift from a small mind to a sense of this source of mind or non-conceptual knowing that's both prior to thought and what has been called wisdom mind. So uh, awakening is awakening from a limited small, contracted feeling of a separate sense of self, which often feels people could feel right now almost as if you're trying to understand what I'm saying. Uh, There's a feeling of a little mini-me behind our eyes looking out, trying to go from thought to thought to past reference to language to create a thinker that then is identified with our body primarily and projected projects itself outward looking for satisfaction. Um, so the it's not that there's not a body and not a human uh, sense of personality, but the waking up is to these other dimensions of consciousness which become more primary. And there are markers for these. And once people access and taste these, they're basically a more spacious or open, so open mind, open heart, a more interconnected feeling with everyone and everything, a kind of a unity consciousness on subtle level. And a sense of dropping from head to heart mind. So it literally feels like your center is not in your head, but is dropped and open and interconnected. And this, interestingly, is similar to what people describe as a flow state or being in the zone. So it's an optimal functioning. It's not just a uh, a way to sit on a quiet cushion or have to retreat into a monastery. That literally, it's a way of upgrading 
our consciousness to this way of knowing by heart, or uh, it becomes second nature that we're able to feel less uh, caught by our chattering mind and our sense of separation, and yet we feel more ourselves. We feel like, oh, here I am. A kind of happiness, a slight sense of bliss is is a marker. And, you know, as we'll, we'll we could do a couple little glimpse practices. And as, uh, when I don't even give the premise or give those markers and do a simple uh, inquiry, people with no background will immediately start to uh, report that this is what's here, the sense of peace, the sense of well-being, spaciousness, uh, relief, love, joy, that's underneath or behind um, what the way we habitually construct our sense of self. Now, you said we could do a small glimpse practice, and I think we should just yeah. go for it. This premise, yeah. you call it small glimpses, many times is a really important mm -hmm. premise in the way you teach. Maybe you could explain that and then give us a glimpse practice that we can do together. Yeah. So this sense, one of the differences in uh, what most people know as mindfulness or what I'm calling deliberate mindfulness and effortless mindfulness is this premise that um, the sense of well-being, this type of awareness, that's already effortlessly aware without orienting to thought is already here. And we can simply do a kind of background foreground shift once we learn how to do it and learn what actually can do it. Uh, and when we shift our awareness, into this subtler dimension of already awake, effortless awareness, then that uh, perception, identity, and way of knowing shift as well. And we are able to recognize or realize uh, this deeper, more pervasive dimension of our consciousness. So there's, yeah, there's a number of ways to do it. And in this, in the book, The Way of Effortless Mindfulness, I kind of divide up practices for different types of learners, for people who are more kinesthetic or visual or auditory, um, and help people kind of move through this, these doorways, whichever ones are easier for them. Uh, so we could do one now, uh, which is kind of a simple inquiry uh, where um, we can start by just understanding that the sense of what keeps us from awakening is a habit pattern of creating a small, separate sense of self that is really, you know, this sense of I think, therefore I am. And that thinker or that uh, 
sense of me is trying to solve the problem of identity by by trying to strive to look inside or look outside. How can I be happy? How can I wake up? How can I be relieved? How can I find love? And that problem solver, that little mini me, is trying to solve the problem, but actually it is the problem itself. So when that problem solver relaxes, often the background awareness, this effortless mindfulness, will begin to immediately feel and experience what's here when that small contracted sense of self is not primary. So those who are listening can simply um, ask themselves this simple question and then look with awareness to feel like awareness can feel down and back and see what's here. So the simple inquiry is, what's here now when there's no problem to solve? So just understanding the question and letting go of thought and feeling into that which is aware of everything. What's here now when there's no problem to solve? Such a great, simple, Glimpse instruction, Locke. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when I do it in a room of people, you'll, what I call kind of popcorn awakening. <laughs> so people will, I'll say, or just say a word or a phrase, and people will just say, what's here? You know, relief, spaciousness, connection, love joy, you know, uh, and well-being, safety. So there's this, you know, these qualities, but when you really talk to them, they feel like they've moved from a small center to an interconnected feeling of multidimensional quality, which includes you know, the local human body and personality as well. So it's not a transcending and it's not uh, trying to say there's no problems in the world. It's focusing on what's here, this problem of identity seeking is relaxed. And what shows up, yeah. You mentioned, Locke, this phrase, deliberate mindfulness. And your new book is called The Way of Effortless Mindfulness. And you draw a distinction between the approach that you're personally drawn to and are teaching in the way of effortless mindfulness 
from, I think, what would be considered more conventional, what you're calling deliberate mindfulness. So help our listeners understand this distinction. What's deliberate mindfulness as compared to what you're offering in the way of effortless mindfulness? Sure. So uh, deliberate mindfulness is pretty much what most people know as mindfulness, and it comes from most of the Theravada insight meditation, Vipassana, uh, some of the Zen practices, um, and the preliminary practices in Tibetan Buddhism and other Mahayana traditions, uh, and also is pretty much what is practiced in psychology and by scientists uh, like John Kabat-Zinn, where he says mindfulness means paying attention in a particular way on purpose in the present moment and non-judgmentally. So it's a way of focusing your mind uh, in a way that it calms and becomes more focused. Um, and effortless mindfulness, my definition is that effortless mindfulness is letting go of thoughts, present moments, and attention, and opening to a naturally compassionate, non-conceptual, awake awareness that's interconnected here and now. So it's literally moving away from deliberately focusing or attending to your breath and having uh, a sense of awareness unhooking or detaching or disidentifying from the focuser and opening to a bigger, more spacious, um, interconnected dimension of ourselves that is, is already here and just takes a little time to get to know. So the word for meditation, um, in Tibetan is often translated as familiarize. So rather than concentrate, we recognize and then familiarize ourselves with this nature of mind, this effortless awareness, and focus from there. So, you know, this is a description, and there's, uh, you know, having done this with uh, people with. Uh, ADD and ADHD, opening to this more panoramic awareness and focusing from there, um, most of them are able to focus for the first time in a way that doesn't take um, effort because it's using, it's not using the moving mind to focus. It's discovering a more spacious and pervasive um, dimension of consciousness that in some ways isn't really in, in our 
Western psychological map of attention. It sounds when you use words like unhooking, disidentifying, that there's a, a type of letting go process that's involved. Yeah. Can you describe right. that? What What is that letting go? Well, this is the interesting thing, and this is... Um, um, so I'll say that having taught both deliberate mindfulness and effortless mindfulness, that they're both extremely valuable. So I want to kind of make sure that's understood that I value and appreciate and I'm not creating a, a competition of the two. They're both helpful. And I've, having taught both, you can learn both in about the same amount of time. Uh, in deliberate mindfulness, some people have a very hard time with concentration on their breath or, or wrestling with, they feel like they're wrestling with their mind or they're falling asleep or they're planning mind or they're going to daydream. And some people can eventually gain the benefits of that. Um, in effortless mindfulness, it there's a little bit of this new orientation, which is, that there's already this effortless awareness that's here and that the only thing that can know that awareness is awareness itself. So attention can't know awareness and even all the skills of developing, uh, focusing on your breath or focusing on the contents of your consciousness, that mindful meditator can't know the effortless awareness. It takes uh, this kind of teasing out or this separating out or this feeling of this unique uh, feeling of local awareness being attached to thought and that it can step back kind of out of the cloud of your mind and then awareness can actually drop down or open up and know your jaw directly from your jaw and your throat from your throat. And so it can drop down and actually know your breath from within your breath, from your belly, from your, the subtlest dimension of your consciousness. Um, and when that happens, it, um, takes uh, takes away that that small separate sense of self and begins to open uh, this other background dimension of awareness by returning awareness to itself and we could try that now in a yeah in a way I'd love to do that Locke I have one question you introduced yeah. this idea okay. of local awareness yeah. And, you know, I think one of the things that can get confusing for people is, wait, how many different kinds of awareness? I thought it was just like <laughs> awareness. There's awake awareness. Right. There's local awareness. I'm getting confused. So I do want to do this, yeah. but help me understand why we start with local awareness. Yeah. So it's interesting. Um, this was like the first one of unique realizations for me is uh, I had both both of my early teachers kind of show me this in a unique way. Uh, I had a, um, a medical doctor who was Chinese 
who introduced me to the secret of the golden flower when I went to him for um, some herbs. And he said, well, you should read this. And I, and I said, well, why don't you tell me about it? He said, well, let me show you. And he said, the secret of the golden flower is turning the light of awareness around and having it look back. So this light of awareness is this awareness. And in Tibetan Buddhism, they say child awareness returns to mother awareness. And uh, so what it means is that when you're in uh, awake awareness or spacious awareness, uh, you can still focus on your knee and you can focus on your breath. So you can focus on a person in front of you. But what you're focusing from is the field of awareness that is connected to them. So it's like an interconnected local flashlight of this big light of awareness that can both be spacious and local. And in some ways, (laughs) when I heard these instructions and then I felt I started playing with, okay, so I've gotten into this awake, interconnected feeling of being. Now, let me sit here and watch how I lose it, watch how I get contracted. And what I felt was it wasn't about the amount of thoughts that are going on or the intensity of emotions that necessarily were the problem or somebody's triggering me. Sometimes I can get triggered and still remain and feel this triggering happening. But I noticed all of a sudden there would be a contraction of the awareness from the vastness, like it got on the train of thought and then it contracted into a small part or separate sense of self. And so what I did is I just started to reverse that process and say, okay, so the awareness is everywhere. I knew, I know that because it was here a minute ago, but now it's identified or contracted into this, small mini me. So let me just see whether I can have that awareness, let go, surrender, separate, all these words that are used in spiritual practice, surrender, let go, detach, unhook, disidentify. So what is it that's disidentifying, detaching? It's not me. I can't like I should be more detached. It's actually the awareness that you can feel that detaches or separates out from its identification. And then it's free to move within your body. And it's free to like a bubble of air, return air into air, awareness into awareness, water into water. And then you're back in the spacious awareness. And then from the spacious awareness, now you're interconnected with everything. And so when you focus in a local way on somebody in front of you, you're also feeling simultaneously your body from within. And you're feeling this kind of panoramic awareness similar to somebody who's operating in a flow state where they're 
dribbling a basketball down the court. They're aware of the time. They see their fellow teammates. They're they're in optimal functioning, and they feel connected. And then they just look one way and throw the basketball the other way, and it goes right to the perfect pass to somebody. So local awareness is this ability from spacious awareness not to have to contract back to a local small self or open up into a meditative state like a witness consciousness and feel like you have to be in one or the other. That um, so this this you know practice we can do now this little glimpse will just begin to get a feeling of what it feels like to move awareness uh, or have awareness move itself is actually what's happening. All right, let's do it. Okay. So yeah, so this is the unusual premise is uh, as we began this. Uh, dialogue, Tammy, we, we talked about how the awakening is the next natural stage. So when I'm asking you who are listening now, I'm not talking to you, the small self. I'm actually talking to you who are already awake, to the awakeness that's in you. And I'm asking that awake awareness to unhook awareness and have it drop down from head to heart. Yeah? So you won't know how to do it. So if your doubting mind is now saying, I don't know if I can do that. I'm not sure what he's saying. I don't think I'll be able to do it. You're actually correct. That that you can't do it, will never be able to do it. And so that's okay. You can thank that part for trying. and trying to help and just ask it to just hang out and then somehow just feel as if this awareness knows how to do it without your help. It will just begin to intelligently move uh, itself. So begin by feeling that sense of um, identification or location or contraction of you listening to these instructions. Find out where you're listening from. And then just notice that location, usually behind your eyes, in the middle of your head, or somewhere in that area. And then just simply notice that awareness is within that movement of thought. And somehow feel as if awareness can unhook and step back into space. Just let the awareness mingle with space. And now notice that that in itself is the feeling of unhooking and a relief from orienting to thought. And now feel as if this local awareness, like a bubble, can drop from head to be aware of your jaw and your smile directly from 
within your jaw. Feel the aliveness, face, awareness. Then feel as if the awareness moves by itself, dropping down, knowing your throat from within your throat. Feel this unusual sense that you don't have to go up to thought to know that you're knowing your throat from within. And you don't have to stretch attention down from your head to your throat. So just feel what it's like for this bubble of knowing awareness to drop below your neck so that the subject and the object are felt directly from within your upper body. Knowing your body from within as effervescent aliveness Space and awareness. And then just drop into a kind of heart space below your emotional heart into a safe, open, sense of ease. So you're feeling that you can know your body and your heart, mind from within. And just see what it's like to feel and know without orienting to thought. And you may notice that you go so subtly within that the awareness begins to open out to have a kind of seamless or edgeless heart that's both tender heart of your human body, but also kind of a open-hearted, more spacious, pervasive sense of being aware of the subtle dimension of awareness outside and within, kind of a boundless heart. Feeling of little love or bliss or joy or safety, ground, This being, so just notice what this non-thought-based alert intelligence is like that's embodied and connected. Notice how you're not using your attention from your head, and yet you can focus on something like your breath, or if your eyes are open, some object. 
and just have this first taste of effortless mindfulness. Hi friends, my name is Jono Fisher. I'm the Executive Director of the Sounds True Foundation. The Sounds True Foundation is a new non-profit organization dedicated to bringing the benefits of transformational education to communities in need, including at-risk youth, prisoners, veterans, and those in developing countries. Some students from Southwest Uganda recently wrote to us and said, in spite of war and violence, Sounds True's materials are helping us really change. We can laugh more. We believe in life again. We can love again. And we are even beginning to allow forgiveness and compassion to enter our consciousness. If you'd like to learn more about how the Sounds True Foundation is helping change lives, or to become a supporter, please visit soundstruefoundation.org. Now, Locke, I want to be just forthcoming here and say that I love practicing like this. I just love it. I love it, love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. It's like, you know, uh, a little piggy finding truffles, something like that. But I want to address the listener who says, you know, effortless? Uh, I think I'm going to go back and start counting my breaths now because at least when I did that, that deliberate mindfulness, I knew what I was doing. I was doing the practice correctly. When you said unhook from thought and step back into the space, I'm not sure I even did that right, let alone the rest of the practice. I could just be kind of lost, lost, you know, uh, swirling around. Sure. Sure. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it it takes a little, a little, some people naturally do it right away. but I find within an hour and a half, if I have like an hour and a half evening, that 80% of beginners will report that wow. they get this sense of something brand new. So it takes a little time, but not that much time to get the first. It is new, but it is easier than like learning to ride a bicycle, which could be, you know, for someone who's new riding a bicycle. It It's like, what? Wait a minute. But then you try it this way, try it that way, try it. Oh, no, no. Oh, oh, whoa. Huh. That's what that is. Because you have to feel it. And it's a new, a brand new ability that is not tough to learn, but it hasn't been learned. So we didn't even know that we could do it. Uh, and then the, the second part is that you can't go back t- to your thinking mind to check whether you're doing it right. Because as soon as you go back to say, well, am I doing this right? Am I aware from, from within my body or am I aware from my head? Then you're back in your head. So it's, it's kind of going through this 
habit of knowing intellectually, knowing conceptually, to not knowing. And then there's a not knowing that knows. It's kind of like a continuous intuition that knows just like, am I knowing from within? Yes. Or just like, hmm. Mm. And it doesn't have to confirm with words. It just knows the way that if you are riding a bicycle, once you do ride a bicycle, if somebody said, are you balancing on the bicycle? And you could go to your head and say, well, am I balancing on a bicycle? I think I am, yes. But you don't need to, right? You're balancing on the bicycle. Let me just, just feel whether you're balancing on the bicycle or not. Mm-hmm. And so it's a feeling, direct, experiential, new knowing that's prior to thought that eventually can use thought and that's beyond thought, that's connected to this continuous intuition or this non-conceptual flow state that doesn't need to think about thinking to know and to access information that's needed, but not have to check with all the automatic thoughts that are going by every second. So you're shifting out of this screen of your mind where we live and into this peace of mind. And it, it takes a little while to you know, discern that for yourself, but only you can do it for yourself um, with a little help or check, like a little checkup from a teacher, just a little check-in, tune-up. Um, and then you have to know for yourself. And then you lose it and go back to the other habit, and then you learn to return on your own. Now, you mentioned, Locke, a little bit about your own travels in mm-hmm. India, and there is actually a tradition, effortless mindfulness is your language for yeah. this traditional way of taking people on a path of awakening. Can you describe a little bit about that, what spiritual tradition this is rooted in? Yes. I mean, as I look at it and really, you know, because I learned it uh, initially from the secret of the golden flower, which is a Taoist practice. Then I, once I, I got that experience, I went, Oh, I experienced this. As a child, I experienced it as a child walking in nature. Oh, I experienced it in sports when I was playing uh, ice hockey goalie and quarterback on the football team. And I would have this feeling of having eyes in the back of my head and open this panoramic awareness and drop into my body and feel connected and be in the zone. And then, um, And then I went to Sri Lanka and studied uh, the Vipassana tradition and then went up uh, and uh, studied Mahmudra and Dzogchen uh, style. Um, and then I, from there, I, I have studied most of the wisdom traditions and tried to read these texts, which were very fortunate because literally in the last 
10 to 20 years, uh, some of the most esoteric and advanced texts have become available. They're very esoteric, but fortunately I had spent enough time, so I kind of got the gist of it and could weed through them enough to then experientially kind of fill in the gaps and um, make some connections that weren't clear or understand, oh, this tradition says it that way and this one says that way, but they're very similar and they're getting here. This one goes this way, that one goes that way. And so the, there's a tradition called Sutra Mahamudra, which actually is the link between Sutra tradition of Theravada. It's actually a Mahayana tradition that was in North India. And it was taken up by Tibetan Buddhism. But originally, it's a Mahayana North Indian uh, tradition uh, that when it was first practiced, the story goes that people in this area who were just living householder lives and being fish sellers and householders would were all awakening when they first practiced this. Sutra Mahamudra. Um, so that's somewhat of the tradition that I'm mostly drawing on, but it's it's really the human being lineage because I feel like it's in the wisdom traditions and, uh, you know, yeah, having made it, bringing in a lot of the neuroscience and psychology uh, and respecting the traditions that I've, all the traditions I've learned from um, trying to keep it rooted, but also not afraid to see what works and check it out with other teachers and colleagues. All right, let's have another glimpse practice. Something I can okay. do in the middle of my busy day without getting uh, too much attention from other people that I'm, you know, engaging in some long something or other. Yeah, so... Yeah, so the the uh, the way the way we practiced um, unhooking awareness from thought, uh, one of the important things is that there's kind of inner types of doorways and outer doorways. So some people who try to do inner doorways are actually, I've found, are actually more easily go out the doorway of. Uh, going out to more spacious awareness outside and then coming back. Others find it easier to go deep within and then open up. So we went, dropped from head to heart. So this one, we're just going to move awareness from thought to seeing, to hearing, to the space in which sound comes and goes until we're aware from that space in a way that we feel less bound to this small separate sense of self. So again, we're, we're feeling as if uh, we are contracted or identified with a part of our that's sitting in the seat of the self in our head or in our emotional body. 
And if you're not, then you're way ahead of the rest of us. So just enjoy yourself and listen to this, like birds in the background. But if you're identified with this location, find the location of this feeling of where you're looking from, where you're hearing from, where you're thinking from. And then from that place, usually within your forehead, we're just going to move, have awareness move from thinking to seeing to hearing. So notice that awareness is identified with thought and then have awareness step back and drop down to be aware of just seeing. And neither seer nor the seen, just awareness and seeing. Your eyes could be open or closed. And then just as awareness has unhooked from thinking and moved to seeing, notice what it's like and how Everything changes when awareness unhooks from seeing and comes to hearing at your ears. So neither hearer nor focusing on what you're hearing, just hearing at the small area at your ears. Now, just as awareness has moved to hearing in this small area, See what it's like so that local awareness can move by itself and open to the space in the room in which sound is coming and going. So feel as if awareness becomes big, opens, and mingles with space. But first you can notice sound moving through the space and then just become interested in the contentless, open space. And feel that mingling as you're curious Am I aware of the spacious awareness? Or what's it like if I'm aware from the spacious awareness? 
that's already aware by itself. Back to thoughts, feelings, and sensations while remaining open. Feel as if the awareness has dissolved air into air, awareness into awareness, and then as if you've discovered this field of awareness that's already been aware in front of you, to the sides of you, above you, below you, and even behind you. And now you're aware of, like an ocean of awareness arising as the wave of your body, emotions, and sensations connected with everything. Now, Locke, you mentioned that for people who are new to this, one of the temptations, if you will, or patterns is to go back to their mind, their thinking mind to see, am I doing this right? Uh, You know, in the appendix of the book, you have this whole interesting section of traps and detours, and you talk about this phenomenon of going back to the mind for a second opinion on how it's going, or getting scared back to the mind, or you also list a a third possible detour, getting bored and going back to the mind. So what do we do when we do that? Oh, that's what I'm doing. I'm I'm gonna go back to the mind because I'm getting a little bored of this. That's right. So the first thing is to realize that all of this is normal, that these are things that happen uh, similar to things that are named in deliberate mindfulness. When you sit and watch your breath, you'll you know, be instructed, well, mind may wander. This is normal. When it wanders, simply notice it's wandered and bring it back. So similarly, when we're Doing effortless mindfulness will open to this spacious awareness. And then maybe a part of us will say, you know, danger, danger, rule number 22 says, don't go out of your mind. Don't become nobody, you know, stay in control. And you'll have a part of you that's like a, uh, a car alarm going off that's, uh, that you'll realize you're getting pulled back like a magnet, you'll come back and then you'll say, huh, now, I, when I felt that before, I was feeling such peace and such safety, why did this, what I call system one, kind of set off these alarms? And you realize that there's kind of a, an old orientation, then there's a kind of a disorientation before you get to reorientation. And so, there are different parts of ourselves that are part of our ego defenses, that are part of our protectors and managers that have been orienting us in a certain way that need to get on board and they'll bore us back or scare us back. And so a lot of the last part of my book is how to work with these parts of ourselves that begin to be the doubting parts or the judging parts. And once we realize that actually in some ways, the only way to heal these parts 
is to fully uh, wake up in order to grow up. So um, <clears throat> the interesting thing about about this effortless mindfulness approach um, is that it's not only an advanced version of uh, mindfulness, but what I've found and some of my colleagues have found is that it's one of the best ways to work with people who have complex trauma. So in other words, people who can barely sit and meditate for a minute when they're introduced to this sense of no self self, this true nature, this spacious, uh, loving capacity, which they have as well as everyone else. It's what, allows them to heal and they've been traumatized by severe situations in their life. So that's the amazing thing. Mm -hmm. People who have had severe trauma don't have an experience of feeling unsafe in the big space that you're introducing through effortless mindfulness. They do. They do similar similar to, to everyone else, but because it's, it's just as accessible, though it may take a little more time, once they do access it, it opens this capacity that even those who have been in therapy for 20, 30 years and made little bits of progress shift into this loving, accepting dimension that then unburdens both uh, the wounded parts, but also the protective and defending parts, which have been holding them so tightly uh, together, trying not to get hurt again. And those parts relax because they feel there's this tremendous loving awareness available. Uh, and so it's a, it's a relationship that's a new healing relationship. Now, there's a, a lot we could talk about, Locke, because in this final section of the book, you describe so, with so much detail, I think, a lot of the ways that people get stuck and confused and have misunderstandings on the path of awakening. I'm just going to mention one or two more, and uh, then we'll bring this to a close. One of the things you point out is that it's actually a trap to stop at not knowing. And I thought this would be a really interesting thing to explain, because I think a lot of our listeners are probably like, oh my God, I finally made it to not knowing. I'm there. I'm not going back. I'm not going back to thinking anymore. But now that in and of itself is a trap? Yeah. So, yeah, so I would say, you know, having been in, you know, many different spiritual communities um, <clears throat> and that the trap of stopping at not knowing, the, stop, the trap of stopping at a kind of a non-dual witness and the trap of, you know, going beyond emotions, feeling like you go into a witness that has no emotions, that these are some of the halfway houses of spiritual unfolding, so which is, which is the third 
which is one of the names of the sections, is unfolding. So uh, the not knowing is the first kind of move of awakening. It's kind of waking up from conceptual knowing to that feeling people may have had of unhooking and going to space in the room. So there's a relief of not knowing, of not being caught in conceptual self. But from there, you can't um, relate and create. So you have to go back. So you, you feel like you're getting it and losing it, or you're going into a meditative state or a witness consciousness that's a little detached and observing in a kind of non-judgmental, neutral way. But then in order to embody and relate, you have to <clears throat> find that the awareness is knowing that it is the nature of your mind and that there's a kind of embodied heart mind that is the way that I feel like uh, is the new operating system. And not knowing is really just a stage along the way. Now, you mentioned these two other halfway houses. Can you briefly talk about each of them? Yeah. So then the second one is, is kind of being in a kind of detached witness. So that is like a big sky mind or a choiceless awareness or uh, a feeling that you're outside looking back, which is, I think, an important transition that I call the U-turn, where you kind of feel like you're looking out and then you make this U-turn, Y-O-U, and now it's almost as if you're looking back. But if you're looking back from a witness <clears throat> that's located somewhere, then you're not as uh, interconnected, embodied, you don't have a sense of um, aliveness and um, <clears throat> you're in a, a and it's as if you're in a meditation state where things are coming and going. Uh, you feel like you're the sky and thoughts and feelings are clouds and birds moving through. Whereas when you open to this spacious awareness that then is none other than thought, feeling, and sensation. You feel like that you're in this interconnected field of that moves from kind of a sky where you're a witness to an ocean where you're interconnected and flowing and everything that arises is somehow more interconnected with who you are. And that's, that's the more embodied or uh, inclusive that has a transcendent and an imminent, an infinite and a finite, a, a detached and, uh, and uh, connected like a boundless and having emotional boundaries. So it's this unity, more unity feeling that's both empty of separate sense of self and has 
a relative arising of I'm just living this human life from this open-hearted place. And then the third halfway house had to do with our uh, how we relate to our emotions. Yeah, so that that becomes, you know, I, I talk about these three three kind of bypasses that we we know uh, about spiritual bypassing, which is a little bit of what this is about, where you feel like you go to this um, transcendent consciousness that is beyond emotion, that's impersonal, that's pure awareness, that things are just happening, and there's a kind of a, a witness for feeling that emotions are just coming and going, they're not as important. Uh, and you can kind of hang out in this, in this feeling, you know, like somebody asks you, you know, would you like some tea? And you say, all tea is the same. So there's kind of a, what I call almost robotism. Uh, whereas when you discover this foundation of awareness, that's both ultimate and relative, that's here embodied, vast, and has a capacity to feel and heal. Um, there's more vulnerability and there's more courage at the same time. So my experience has been that <clears throat> I was just recently at a funeral and walked up and people were very serious and I just started crying and then laughing and then laughing and then crying and everyone just started to kind of like go, whoa, what? Oh, and then they were laughing and crying. And it feels like, I don't know, I didn't think about crying or laughing or anything, but it just was touched. I was so touched by the, uh, the moment and the people and the tenderness and the the beauty and 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 then it was almost like the gratitude for this person's life, like my heart just welled up, like, oh my God, was so beautiful. This person was so beautiful. I remember, you know, I can feel them now. I can remember them now. I, and and it just is um, is such an amazing life. Um, you know, it's 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 like the example. I mean, if you see the Dalai Lama, you know the laughing and crying and joking. It's very alive rather than um, transcending human emotion. All right, Locke, I'm just going to ask you one final question here. The path of effortless mindfulness, what kind of commitment does it take? I think sometimes when people hear something like effortless, you know, mm -hmm. it's really based on letting go, unhooking, you know, they move into a kind of couch potato type mode. What kind of commitment is required here? Yeah, so the, the effortless, the effortless is, it really means that there's an effortless awareness that's already here that we can discover. Um, it takes a little effort and it takes, uh, takes a commitment that usually is discovered by either, you know, bottoming out or 
feeling the fire of despair or trying to have it work out with a very strong controlling ego and realizing that's not all there is and it doesn't work and that you feel dry or and you look for something else or if you get a taste of awakening if you get a taste of freedom a taste of uh joy and beauty beyond uh the coming and going happiness and pleasure something that doesn't come and go that's connected and loving um then it it just feels like you know for me it was like when i had a taste of that i thought what else was my priority in life what else uh, what what else am i going to choose to do with my day shouldn't i at least put it on the list of of small glimpses many times so in some ways it takes a a sense of wanting to wake up and grow up uh willingness and then it's the practice of small glimpses many times, um, which has immediate benefits, uh, can be practiced in the middle of your day with your eyes open in any situation. Um, I practice it on the subway in New York City and in busy work situations. And <clears throat> within minutes, it drops me into this interconnected, loving, calm, uh, smart and funny dimension of myself that uh, that is able to handle things that I couldn't handle when I'm trying hard. So it's kind of a, uh, a an interest, a willingness, uh, and you know I just feel like anybody who's doing any kind of spiritual practice, there's kind of a a point. Are you doing it to just calm? like a sauna or or is it to access a kind of spiritual dimension whatever you call that that is this next capacity um and the thing about effortless mindfulness is it's it's less uh dangerous <clears throat> um that than because what we're doing is we're going immediately from the problem to access the solution and then you lose it, you come back to the small sense of self, and then you don't get caught in the gap in between. You go immediately within minutes to access your true nature, and then it may only stay for a few minutes, but then you lose it and you come back again. And when you're there, uh, you're not <clears throat> just deconstructing the ego and getting flooded by the unconscious, you're actually accessing that which has the capacity to be with emotions and grief and trauma. The Way of Effortless Mindfulness. It's a new book by Locke Kelly, a revolutionary guide for living an awakened life. And if you want to learn more, this book is a tremendous study companion. It's filled with pointers and it really takes you step-by-step through something which can appear to be a type of pathless path. But Locke, you really lay out the pathless path really beautifully. Thank you. The Way of Effortless Mindfulness. There's also an audio program of Glimpse 
Practices, Effortless Mindfulness Now, and Locke's the author of a previous book with Sounds True called Shift into Freedom. Locke, thank you for all of your great work and for everything you put into the way of Effortless Mindfulness, the book. It's a gorgeous book. Thank you so much, Tammy, for all your support and Sounds True and bringing this to the world. It means a lot. Thank you for listening to Insights at the Edge. You can read a full transcript of today's interview at SoundsTrue.com forward slash podcast. And if you're interested, hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. And also, if you feel inspired, head to iTunes and leave Insights at the Edge a review. I love getting your feedback, being in connection with you, and learning how we can continue to evolve and improve our program. Working together, I believe, we can create a kinder and wiser world. Soundstrue.com, waking up the world 